Well, good morning, and welcome to each one of you to NBC Church Online. It's great to be together today. Uh, is it too late to say Happy New Year? Uh, I hope not. So Happy New Year to each and every one of you. Uh, we're glad you're here. Before we get into God's Word, I just wanted to bring you a couple of updates concerning Christmas Eve and our Christmas gift campaign. Now, Christmas Eve at Milton Bible Church was a little different this year because it was Christmas Eve online. And as many of you know, or some of you know, Christmas Eve is my favorite service. Um, and it also just happens to attract the biggest crowd that we get uh, every year. About 400 people uh, usually attend Christmas Eve, at least they have in the last couple of years. Well, let me tell you what happened uh, Christmas Eve as we gathered online. This year we had 732 views online, which means 732 locations viewing our Christmas Eve service. And what, uh, what that uh, means is whether there was one person there or whether there were a, a number of people there, at least 732 times people gathered to watch Christmas Eve. So in other words, by far, this was our largest Christmas Eve outreach service that we have ever had. So very exciting days to, as the gospel is being proclaimed. I also wanna give you an update on the Christmas gift campaign. During the month of December, we set a goal asking God for $100,000 uh, to use uh, to reach more people with the love of God. It's a, it was a big goal. And I wanna share with you the results. Now I want you to understand that the monies will be used evenly uh, between two, two things. First of all, new MBC outreach initiatives, things that we've learned through these days of COVID, meeting the needs in our community, uh, half the money will go there. The other half of the money will be used towards worship and media ministries, uh, our communications uh, ministry, in order to enhance our communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, our desire is to reach more people with the love of God. Well, some of you are saying, get on with it, Jim. Tell us what the total was. Well, the total for the Christmas gift campaign during the month of December was $97,551.54. That's an amazing result. We thank God for that. We thank God for you, God's people, and your generosity, overwhelming giving. That's by far our biggest uh, gift campaign you know, that we have had uh, at Christmas time. There's so much to praise God for. Listen, we're glad that you're here, and I am praying that 2021 will be your greatest year ever. Personally, uh, as a family, uh, your best year yet, every one of you. Yet, even as I say that, I understand that it probably won't happen through New Year's resolutions. So I wanna share with you this morning what I hope will be the first step towards making 2021 your best year ever. Let me ask you a question. Have, ever, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're desperate? Maybe it's a bad car accident. Maybe it's a bad health report. Maybe it's a bill that came in that you weren't expecting and that you don't have the money to pay for. What did you do? What did you do in your desperation? What did you do with your problem? Did you worry? Did you kind of come up with a solution to the problem? 
At what point in the process did we think to pray? At what point in the process did we think to pray? Is prayer your first response or is it the last resort? When somebody shares with you something that's going on in their lives, maybe it's a real difficulty and you're sitting there and you're racking your brain thinking, how can I possibly help? How can I help to make this better? What can I do for this person? Do you ever come to the point where you maybe say to yourself, you know what, or, or, or you say to them, you know what, well, I wish I could do more or I wish I could do something for you, but the least I can do is pray for you. Do you ever hear yourself saying those words, the least I can do is pray for you. Well, the fact of the matter is, the most we can do is pray for people. The best thing that we can do is pray for people. <clears throat> we can pray for people. Prayer must be our first response and not our last resort. Today I wanna to start a series, uh, just a short ser series, three or four weeks, um, about prayer and fasting in making room for the presence of God in our lives. I wanna start this year with teaching on prayer and fasting, and we're gonna drive the point home that prayer must be our first response and not our last resort from a text of scripture in Acts chapter four. So if you wanna join me there, it would be great, Acts chapter four. It's not an unfamiliar passage to many people, but while you're turning there, let me give you the background. The book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but in truth, it really is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the context of, of uh, Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter four, these are the very early days of the early church. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not been a few weeks since uh, the day of Pentecost. So what has happened is Jesus has died, buried, rose again, ascended into heaven. The day of Pentecost has occurred where the Holy Spirit of God is poured out, where God said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, yet they who give us his spirit and it would be the power of God to be his witnesses to the world. And so the day of Pentecost has come and the spirit of God has been poured out and Peter preaches the gospel and 3000 people are saved, an incredible event. Some time passes, and in the passage that we're going to study, in Acts chapter 4, what happens is Peter and John, they make their way towards the temple for an hour of prayer. Usually, the, the, the scripture indicates that it's the time period of around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And they're walking towards the temple, and they're, they have to go through a place called the Beautiful Gate in order to get there. And at the side of the road, beside the entrance of the beautiful gate, there's a lame man. And he's sitting on the ground, as he has been for many, many years, asking for money. That's how he survived. And so he shouts out, asking for money, for help. Peter and John walk over to him. They say to him, look at me. The man looks at them. They say, silver and gold have we none, but what we will, but what we have, we will give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. They take the man by the hand, lift him up. Not only does he walk, he jumps up, he leaps. You know, the lame leap for joy. 
the, met, the guy says, listen, <laughs> I believe, you know, uh, I, I believe in the power, the healing power of Christ. So let's go to the temple. I want to go with you to pray. So the three of them, they go to the temple. When they get to the temple, all of a sudden, a big crowd comes around because people begin to see. They begin to see, hey, aren't you the lame guy who's been sitting by a beautiful gate for 30 years, you know, looking for money uh, because you can't walk and now you can? And the guy says, yes, I've been healed by the power of Jesus Christ. And it gives Peter and John the opportunity to preach the gospel once again, and people come to faith. Now that does not make the people happy who killed Jesus Christ. The people who wrongly tried him, convicted him, put him to death. And so what happens? Peter and John, they get arrested. They get put in jail. They spend the night in jail. They come before the court in the morning and they're ordered, they're threatened, they're told, stop preaching the name of Jesus. And what do they say? We have to obey God rather than man. And they say, hey, listen, dude, we don't have a choice. We're gonna continue to preach Christ crucified, risen, the way of salvation. They warn them, do this, and there's nothing but trouble there. The threats are real. They had just killed Christ. They could easily kill them. That's the context of this passage. That's the context of what happens. They're threatened, then they're released. All right, are you at Acts chapter 4? You there yet? Well, we're going to take a look in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Three lessons for the church that will ultimately help us to respond in prayer. And the first one is this, that our prayers should demonstrate our dependence. Our prayers should demonstrate our dependence. If you look at verse 23, this is what it says. When they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God. Now, the first thing we learned is that our prayers should demonstrate our dependence. I want you to notice in verse 23, what happens is when they were released, Peter and John, the first thing that they did was they went to their friend's house. They went to their friend's house and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They reported the threats. And when they heard it, their friends lifted their voices in prayer to God. These were a people who were dependent they got it. The early church understood this principle. Dependence is what drives us to prayer. Do you know, first of all, I just want to say how much I just love this story. That when they, release, when they were released, they went to their friend's house. Do you know what? I'm a huge proponent of our connect groups here at Milton Bible Church. Because I believe that every single person needs a group like this that when we're in trouble, when we're in difficulty, when we're in dire straits, that we have a group of people who love us, who will go to bat for us, who will have our backs, who will gather and pray for us in our time of need. We all need that. You need that. And if you belong to a connect group, sometimes you're ministered to, sometimes you do the ministry. But every single one of us needs a group where we are are. Are, have that kind of support. And you find this all the way through the book of Acts. 
On one time, you find the Apostle Paul who was stoned and left for dead. And the group that was around him, they uh, ministered to him, they nurtured him, you know, they brought uh, healing to him and, uh, you know, nourishment. It doesn't give us all the details of what they did. It probably included some medical attention, probably some prayer and some encouragement. But I'll tell you, that stoning of the Apostle Paul did not stop the book of Acts. The Paul was able to get up, he was able to continue his ministry, and he was able to keep going. And it was a group of friends who played a huge role in that, and they prayed. And they prayed out of dependence. And it wasn't the, uh, the first or the last time the church was to pray. In fact, I would encourage you, even this month, during this lockdown, uh, over the next few weeks, read through the book of Acts. Jot down every time people gathered to pray or when they prayed. I want you, you know, uh, write down where they prayed, when they prayed, what they prayed for. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that in the book of Acts, the early church prayed at the side of the road. They prayed in people's homes. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in a boat. They prayed in the river. They prayed beside the river. In other words, they prayed everywhere. They prayed for healing. They prayed for salvation. They prayed for deliverance. They prayed for many things. They prayed for all kinds of things all over the place. That's what you find. A, a, a church saturated in spontaneous and organized prayer. All kinds of prayer. You know, they were, I read this week something uh, by Abraham Lincoln. And it was said many years ago, but it really struck me and it convicted me. And, and this is what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Now that's a statement of dependence. Let me say it again. I have driven many, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Do you know, in our lives, with our Western affluence, with our freedom, we don't have the multitude of stimulus to become a dependent people. If we have a problem, we write a check. If we have a problem, we figure a way out to solve it. That's what we've been taught. And that's kind of what we do. And if none of these things work, then we reach out for help. And if none of those things work, well, then maybe we pray. So why is it in our Western world that the knowledge of our own dependence has to come through personal crisis. Why is it that we have to have a personal crisis before we actually become dependent in prayer? It's true, isn't it? Aren't we just as dependent as people in other parts of the world who are facing difficult situations, who, call, who, who are called to prayer? It's not just when our resources run out. We need God every day. We need Jesus in our lives every day. And when we cry out in dependence upon him, what we do is we make room for the presence of God in our lives. We make room for him to come and act. When we saturate our lives with prayer and declare our dependence upon him, we need that communion with him. Someone once wrote this, that it is only the helpless that can truly pray. 
Our prayers, first of all, should demonstrate our dependence. Secondly, our prayers uh, should reflect our beliefs. This is the second thing we need to learn from the early church for 2021, is that our prayers should reflect our beliefs. Look at what it says in verse 24. It says, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is a great prayer. We're going to look at more of it in a second. But I want you to understand what they did. Because when you read this prayer, you can see that these people didn't distribute a little three-by-five card with a pre-written prayer on it that everybody is going to kind of read together. No. What you get the feeling of is when you read this prayer that at one time, you know, everybody prayed together. And then some people prayed individually. And then one person kind of, his voice was raised. It says that they prayed with loud voices. I like prayers with loud voices. I like it when we gather as a people and we pray with loud voices. You know, sometimes jokingly in our pre-service prayer time with the band and all that, I say pray loud enough that God can hear it. Because I, I just, I'm not a big fan of, you know, the whispering. I think we should pray enough, loud enough, that it declares our dependence upon him and it reflects our theology of what we believe about who God is. They prayed. They prayed together. And they answered the threats upon their lives with prayer. And so the beliefs they prayed, I want you to notice the words here. Here's the prayer. They start with these words, sovereign Lord. And in other words, what they're saying is, Lord, you're in control. We want to, rec want to recognize that you're in charge. That these leaders, even these leaders who are, are, were uh, 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 threatening us, they submit to a sovereign Lord as well. We submit to you because we know that you're in charge of everything. You made the heavens and the earth. You are the creator. You are the sustainer of all things. And we trust you. We know that you are the Lord. And you are sovereign and in control of all things. And we recognize that as we begin our prayer to you. And so, Lord, you're sovereign. You're in control. You're the creator. Who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit. And then he's about to read an excerpt from Psalm 2. Psalm 2. But he uses the word servant instead where Psalm 2 uses the word son. Ultimately, ultimately, it's referring to us as believers. But certainly, it's referring to Jesus. Originally, it referred to David. But ultimately, this is referring to us. Us now. And what they're doing and when they're praying, they're saying, Sovereign Lord, you are in control and you have a plan. And with that plan, we trust. We trust in you. Now let's look at the quote from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 writes this, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, what fascinates me is that he could use these words from Psalm 2, yet these 
words from Psalm 2 were written over 900 years ago, almost 950 years before the time of Christ. And yet he talks very clearly, why did the Gentiles rage? He's talking about the Romans wanting to put Jesus to get to death. You know, why did they plot against the Lord's anointed? The psalmist is talking about Jesus Christ 950 years before. And then he says, and the people's plot in vain. Perhaps this refers to Israel. Perhaps the Jewish rulers at the time. The kings of the earth. It mentions the kings of the earth, and certainly we know at the time of Christ, it was Herod, Herod Antipas, who was a tetrarch, the ruler over that region. It says, they set themselves, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. It's ultimately not just Pontius Pilate that made these decisions, but in other words, it was many, many people that were involved. Now, why would... He quote a passage like that. When you've got two guys who are in trouble because they were bold and they were sharing their faith in the name of Jesus and they got uh, in trouble. And so the church got together and they began to pray and they answered the threat with prayers. But they prayed, Sovereign Lord, you created all things. And so we trust in you. You are in control. And something similar happened like this that happened to Jesus that was predicted 950 years before. In other words, Lord, they didn't catch you by surprise then. They're now catching you by surprise now. We trust you. You see, it was that theology that shaped their prayers and is now going to shape their prayer request. So what did they pray for? What did they pray for? Let's take a look, because the third thing we learn from this passage is our prayers expose our priorities. Let's take a look at verse 27 of Acts chapter 4. You see, our prayers, they not only demonstrate our dependence, but our prayers reflect our beliefs, and they also expose our priorities. Now, I want you to notice the priority in their prayer request. It says here, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what he's saying is, Sovereign Lord, you created all things, you placed all things under your control. And whether it was Pontius Pilate, whether it was Herod Antipas, whether it was the Roman rulers, whether it was, whether it was the, the Pharisees and the scribes, all of these are all in your control. And all of these were a part of your plan that you executed for the salvation of mankind. So Lord, in this situation, we trust you. We trust you. And this is what they prayed for. Here's the request. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, I just want to stop here for just a second. Because as we look at this prayer request, uh, what they're asking God for 
is they're asking for continued boldness. They're asking for more boldness. Now, let me ask you a question. Wasn't that what got them in trouble in the first place? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that that would be my prayer request, that I would be asking God for the very thing that got me jailed, threatened, um, and, and, and given a cease and desist order, you know, where my life could be at stake. The very thing that got us into trouble would be the very thing that I would ask for more of. But why did they do that? Why did they ask for boldness? They asked for boldness to see the kingdom of God extended and to see the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. And you notice what happens here. They also, they also realize and they say this, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness while they realized that God would work in a supernatural way. Absolutely incredible. And do you know what happened? Their prayer was answered. You go on and you read these words. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Their prayers were answered. Do you know what? You may be a lot more spiritual than I am, but I think if I was one of those guys that spent the night in jail, was arrested, was charged, was, was, was told to stop, I might have a little different prayer. I might pray something like, Lord, you know those guys that uh, want to stop your gospel from going forward? Lord, they're really in the way. Could you kind of take care of them? Like, I mean, really take care of them. Because Lord, not only was I proclaiming your word and things were going great, but God also, we saw somebody healed and great fame was brought to the name of Jesus. So could you take care of that obstacle and get it out of the way? Because it's a real problem that's happening right now. But that's not what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness to continue to be bold to do exactly the same thing that got them into trouble in the first place. Do you know what I learned from that? I, what I learned from that is that Christ's kingdom must be more important than my personal comfort. Christ's kingdom and Christ's work must be more important than my personal comfort. If I pray for my comfort over Christ's kingdom, then I am out of whack and, and I am out of step with the Holy Spirit and what he desires in my life. We're not on the same page. Christ's kingdom must be more important than my comfort. And that's what the Apostle Paul was able to write later on. He wrote this, he said, I pray that God, that Christ, would be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So how about you? Do your prayers reflect biblical priorities, the expansion of God's kingdom, or do they mostly reflect our own comfort? I love it when God said, you know, 
God answered their prayer and gave them boldness. But before he did that, the building shook. Now, he didn't have to do that, did he? But he did that. Let me give you two cautions with regard to shaking buildings. Two cautions. First of all, if a building is shaking, get out of it. All right, some free advice. Secondly, I don't think it's ever wrong to ask the Lord for a sign. I think it's wrong to demand a sign of God, but I don't think it's wrong to ask God for a design. You see, there are many who demand a sign and they say, God, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. You know, if you're real, you'll do this for me. You know, it comes very close to presuming on God. And many people who use that as a normal practice kind of uses their proof text, a situation way back in the Old Testament where Gideon used a fleece to determine the will of God and what God would have him do before he would step into obedience. And you know what? I don't think that episode in the Old Testament is meant to be used as normative for everyday living and how we determine the will of God. You see, there may be times when we ask God for a sign and God may lead us to ask him for a sign, but I think it's wrong if we demand it. I have to be honest with you. There are times over the years at Milton Bible Church that, um, you know, where maybe it was my own spiritual dryness of the ta- at the time, but, uh, you know, there were times when I would say, Lord, I just haven't seen you at work of late. I haven't seen you at work of late. And Lord, I, I'm just looking for a sign. I just, I know you're here. I know you're at work. But Lord, I'm just looking for something to see that you're here, to see the kingdom of God go forward. You know, and, and I'm just hungry for his presence. I'm hungry for knowing, that, you know, that, that he's there. And usually within a few hours or within a few days, God would deliver a sign. I remember a time not too long ago. Well, actually, it was just over 10 years ago. I could give you several examples, but this one just popped into my head right now. It was a sign where I, where I, I just felt Milton Bible Church was not making the impact it could or it should in the community. And I just was praying, Lord, show us a sign. Show us something that we can do to bring healing, help, and hope to our community. Lord, I'm desperate to see that happen, to see your gospel go forward in meaningful, powerful ways. Well, it wasn't a week later before we had word of two ministries, one called Freedom Session that brings hope and healing to those with habits and addictions and those who are under a burden, a great burden of weight. And the other was uh, Food for Life. Both of these ministries, within a week, I got phone calls and, and conversations. And within a few months, both of those ministries had begun. And God showed up in a very powerful way by his Holy Spirit. And you know what? As the Lord did that, that to me was the building shaking. That to me was the building shaking. It was God saying, listen, I'm at work. Don't demand it. You can ask for it, but don't demand it. And let me just say this. When God gives you a sign, don't deny it either. Don't deny it either. 
Sometimes things would happen in the past, in the early days, you know, uh, uh, me being a pastor, and it would be incredible. It would be fantastic. It would be amazing. And I would say, well, that was just kind of happened because God couldn't have done that because, frankly, that didn't fit into my theology of what God can do. And, uh, and you know, I remember one time, you know, as we, as we began to move in the things of the Spirit, and a woman came forward for prayer, and I just, uh, with someone else, I just, you know, we just, I just, at the front of the church, began to pray for her, just had my hand upon her shoulder, and boom, she hit the ground, started shaking, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just began, I, I began to say, hey, God, I'm a Baptist. This doesn't happen here. You know, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But as that person, uh, you know, uh, spent that time with God, you know, doing some floor time, so to speak, um, got up, filled with the Holy Spirit, changed life. I've learned not to put God in a box. I've learned that God can do whatever God wants to do whenever he wants to do it. God has a way of changing our thinking and getting us out of the box. Okay, now in the last 45 minutes, let me pull our thoughts together. All right, just kidding. 2021, let's make it our best. 2021, let's make it the best year that we have ever had. But it's not going to happen by working harder. It's going to happen the way that these scriptures teach. It's going to happen when we get on our knees in dependence upon the Lord, when we align our hearts with the hearts of the Holy Spirit, when our comfort comes second place to the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom that he has called us to. When we hit the knee, our knees in prayer together as a people, that's how we have the best, greatest 2021 we've ever had. So I would encourage you, as this year begins, I would encourage you to make prayer a priority. I would encourage you to make prayer your first response and not your last resort. I would encourage you to get involved in a connect group, to find a community of people, and right now, even if it's online, to get involved. Even this coming Wednesday, we are gonna pray together as a church for things that God is calling us into, leading us into. And it would be great to have as many people as possible at that Wednesday night prayer meeting on Zoom. You're gonna get an email about that shortly. But let me invite you to that. Let me invite you into the greatest year that we have ever had, and it is going to happen through the priority of prayer. Next week, I'm going to talk about fasting. Week number three, I'm going to talk about prayer and fasting because I want us, I want you to have the best year that you have ever had for the glory of God and for the thrill of your soul. So let's get into it. Let's get into God's word. Let's get into serving. Let's get into community. Let's get into connecting. But let's, let's get into praying for the glory of God, for the name and the sake of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you for our church family. I want to thank you for who you are in the life of Milton Bible Church. I want to thank you for the way that you have showed up time after time with your power to glorify your name, to see your kingdom come.
And we thank you, Lord, even for the results of December, to know that over 700 homes heard the gospel of Jesus Christ more than any other Christmas Eve that we have ever had before. Even in this pandemic, you are sovereign. You are in control. And you will bring glory to your name as we submit to you and to your will. And so thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And we are looking forward to a phenomenal year together as a church and the best year we've ever had as your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Mountain Bible Church, see you on Zoom. See you Wednesday night. It'll be great to pray together. God bless.